if you could take the university's resources and resources being intellectual, social capital, role within the state as a land grant mission institution, if you could take that and you could utilize that to leverage our outdoor resources for economic and community advancement, how would you do that? And I'll just give you the headline now. My answer was, I have no idea, but I'm willing to figure it out. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. If you're new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Episode 100 is part one of a four-part series where we highlight the Brad and Elise Smith Outdoor Economic Development Collaborative at the West Virginia University. Part one of this series features Dr. Danny Twilley. Danny has a wealth of knowledge on what it takes to get trails into communities, especially from a data perspective. Danny provides a backstory on himself, how the Brad and Elise Smith Outdoor Economic Development Collaborative came to be, along with a lot of real-life success in the world of trails. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of the listeners and guests who have taken the time to share the Trail Effect episodes on their social media accounts, such as Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, along with taking Trail Effect in their posts. This has helped a lot more listeners find the Trail Effect podcast. Please keep up all of the sharing, commenting, and tagging of Trail Effect. I'd also like to thank all of the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Now on to the Trail Effect with Dr. Danny Twilley. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I have Dr. Danny Twilley who is the VP of Economic Community and Asset Development for the Brad and Elise Smith Outdoor Economic Development Collaborative at West Virginia University. Did I get it all? <laughs> you did. <laughs> good work. <laughs> How's it going today, Danny? It's going pretty good. It's pretty good. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for your willingness to tell um, the story of West Virginia and highlighting a pretty special state at a pretty special time. Yeah, for sure. Well, I appreciate you and, and the rest of your crew that'll be taking time for this four-part series that we have teed up here on the West Virginia University and, and the Brad and Elise Out, Smith Outdoor Economic Development Collaborative. You know, our backstory together, I met you in 2018 at the first ever IMBA Trail Labs. And you were, and you were one of the presenters at that, which was a pretty awesome experience. Yeah, that, it's pretty remarkable to think the journey we've come on since then, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you've, you've taken your own journey. We've got a, a trail accelerator grant that was granted here in my community and planned and built and people are using it every day. So there's things that have came out of that first meeting that have been pretty productive. Yeah. And we'll dive into some of that and you'll, I think we'll bring it full circle of that's that experience is why I'm here today at WVU. Well, let's go into your backstory and kind of the path you took to West Virginia University, since you were not at West Virginia University when we first met. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think we could, um, you know, I think the natural place to start is, you know, my career, my journey in this work has always been driven by a love for the outdoors that was instilled on me very early on um, growing up near the ocean. And I've just kind of followed that passion and that journey throughout. And I, you know, I figured out ways to make it into, uh, I think, a really fun and unique career. And so, you know, when a while ago, when I was an undergrad, I decided that I really felt higher education and college really transformed my life um, in so many different ways. And somewhere in that journey, I knew that that's where I, I think I wanted to kind of find my space and, and, and kind of make the world a better place through education. I didn't know how. And really, when I graduated college, I just kept on stacking outdoor experiences after outdoor experiences as a way to travel and see the world, see the country. So it was during that time period, I always felt like I wanted to be a, a faculty member. I had great professors who were mentors and now friends of mine who really influenced my life. And I said, man, I would love to do that one day to give back um, and also have a filling and unique career. And so I kind of knew that was going to be part of my journey. I just didn't know how or where. And um, it was kind of I went back to grad school. Um, I had spent quite a bit of time traveling throughout the United States and other parts of the country or the world. And I ended up, you know, like all interesting you know, ways I ended up in at Athens, Ohio, largely due to a promise I made to my uh, a girl I was dating at the time. And I turned that into grad school. And when I went into grad school um, at Ohio University, uh, I was a graduate teaching assistant because I knew I wanted to get that teaching experience. So I started teaching and it was mostly at the time around outdoor leadership, right, of the programmatic side and and how to facilitate programming to transform people's you know lives. And that was my driver. After I finished um, through a weird series of events, they kept me on to be an instructor, um, a full-time instructor. And that was my journey, you know, at Ohio University for quite some time. During that time period, I, you know, I had taken students abroad. Um, I looked at a lot of ecotourism, um, economic and community development abroad, anywhere from Costa Rica to the Balkans. We were leading trips in the summer for students, um, you know, doing kind of outdoor leadership, 26 day trips, you know, in North Carolina, um, West Virginia. We ran a bunch of camps as well for, for youth and teens. So it was like really programmatic piece. And, you know, as part of this journey, I started really getting a sense of it was kind of through experience. You recognize that not only is recreation, particularly outdoor recreation, transforming people. I noticed that it was transforming place. And when you, I reflected back of all the places I love to travel to, whether it was out west and the east coast, some of the communities and parts of the country that we all know well, whether it's parts of Colorado, Utah, Pacific Northwest, Western North Carolina, even to a large degree, West Virginia, there was cool communities. And outdoor recreation was a driver of not only transforming people's lives and becoming a lifestyle for people, whether you're an accountant or doctor, or whether you're an outdoor professional, but it was also transforming place. And that was really became a, an opportunity. And so how did I get into this work? Um, and how did we end up in, in Arkansas together? 
was uh, I got a call one day from a, a gentleman who owned a bike shop. His name's Peter Coates. And he was like, hey, Danny, you know, the National Forest, Wayne National Forest reached out and they want to have conversations around trails on some of their property right outside. Would you want to be part of that meeting? Because him and I had kind of talked about some of this work before. And every good aspect of my career has always been because I said yes to some meeting or opportunity. It wasn't because I planned it. I, did, I never thought that that project would turn into what it did. And I said, sure, yeah, I'll show up. And so it was that meeting that ultimately led to the formation of what has now become the Bailey's Trail System in Southeast Ohio. That's right in Athens County on the Wayne National Forest, where that project went from an idea of a team of people together in partnership with the National Forest to now, you know, some of its successes. I mean, it has uh, a council of governments that's overseeing it. It has um, was the model project for conservation finance for recreation to now it has a, a Chansey, the village of Chansey's park is being transformed. You've got a, a bikeway connection from the a rail trail into the community. They've got, I think, 35 miles of trail on the ground now with, you know, a goal of 88. And so it all came from that meeting. And that's how I became involved in the kind of trail development, community development world. And people said, you know, why did you, you know, become involved in that? And I said, well, I wanted more trail. It was very self-serving at the time. It was like, I want more trail. I wanted it from a professional standpoint because I wanted to program locally for my students and, and for the university. And I love trails and I love being out there on them. So I wanted more. And very quickly, that changed. And when I say quickly, probably less than two months in, it really changed into recognizing because we were talking about trails and we were and, and it was a serendipitous meeting where a group was like, well, yeah, that that park is going to potentially be our trailhead. And we said, well, man, that could be a nice trailhead. So we started talking to the community and they were like, yeah, we wouldn't send our kids there because it's not a great place for them to be, you know, it, 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 there's not much for them to do. And so we're like, okay, well, I think we need to update the park. So that became part of it. And then they said, well, how do we get across the state highway from town where people live across the state highway to the park? And you could see it, you know, it was within a couple hundred yards, but they couldn't get across it. And it's like, okay, well, then you have to you know, deal with, you know, state transportation and put up the blinky lights to try to get it. And you're like, okay, there. And then it was, then we started talking about the economic benefits of this. And they were like, well, how do we deal with sewer? How do we deal with sidewalks? How do we deal with these other compounding issues that's facing rural America, right? These are facing the rural parts. It's not singular. We couldn't just put trails on the ground and expect magically that town to transform and the people to benefit and be part of it. We recognized very early on, and it's kudos to the team, right? We had the city planner, we had Peter Coxis, we had, you know, I was part of that team. You had uh, someone from the, you know, group from the National Forest. Then we started bringing in the mayors and city councils and village councils, and it became this collective group, the, the local county foundation. It became this, this larger piece to the puzzle, and we knew we were doing something right when people were showing up to meetings and they were saying, I don't know why I'm here, but I know my group needs to be here to be part of this. And those individuals would keep coming and then they would say, well, I can help with that. Or I know the data around that. 
And so um, it became much larger than just putting trails on the ground from self-interest. And, and that was arguably one of the greatest lessons I've ever experienced and transformations in this is that you cannot, even though trails were the point of the arrow, it allowed the broader conversation of how do you support rural communities that have had extractive industries, specifically in Appalachia, how do you help utilize this type of trail development? How do you center an economic development? And when you do that, it allows you to utilize this avenue to address more. So that was really my my take into it. And the thing I could, I mean, we could spend the whole podcast for me listing off the things I didn't know when we started that project. But what it really came down to, you had the right people at the right time saying, I don't know, but I'm willing to figure it out. So how did that transform? Well, Andy Williamson, who you'll talk to, is now part of our team. I've known Andy for a long time. He was at one of the very first meetings for the Bailey's Trail System. He kind of lit the fire, helped, you know, he was working for Emba at the time, helped try to create that guide. He saw me kind of using, like thinking about data and research to help inform decision-making and processes. He said, and, and I joke, I'm not sure if he wanted me, but he wanted the three letters behind my name. And he said, look, we're doing this thing called Trail Labs. And at the time, he, he called me up and he said, look, we, we want to kind of do a, a large study to try to understand mountain bikers. Can you help with that? And of course, I was like, man, I'm kind of busy. I don't know. And he said, come on, can you do it? And of course, I was crazy enough to say yes. And that turned out to be one of the largest studies of mountain bikers done. It, there's others out there that have, have, are doing phenomenal work. But that became me trying to understand kind of mountain biking in the trail community. That led to my invite to Trail Labs to say, hey, we need to help communities understand how you're using health reports, how you're using county and city plans, how you're using data to inform decision making and helping make the case for trails that's just not about trails for the sake of trails. We can put health benefits beside it. We can put community benefits. We can do accessibility we can do housing prices, you know, values. We can do a lot. We just need to understand what it is. So that's why I was there. And that was part of the reason, you know, that's how we got connected was when I was there. So I showed up and it just kind of worked out is that it was well received, I think, by communities. Um, we got our cups fulfilled through that process as, you know, planners and, and community advocates for trails. And we've done several of those. So how does that end up with me at West Virginia University? Well, I was there. You know, I, I can't remember if this was our fourth or fifth one. I, I just can't remember COVID kind of warped time. Uh, but a gentleman from West Virginia University, his name's Greg Corio, who started Adventure West Virginia. It's the largest outdoor orientation program in the country. He's really kind of pushed the thinking of how outdoors can transform, you know, uh, people's lives and students in college. and so. He shows up, and I'd known him professionally for some time um, through the conference circuit, shared students, that type of thing. And we're on a ride, and I mean, it's it's the day before Trail Lab starts. Um, and we're there riding the trails of Bentonville, and he's like, "Danny, I didn't know you were doing this type of work. When did that happen?" And I said, "You know, I just kind of gave him a, a, an abbreviated version of how." And he says, "Man, I would love to see something like that at West Virginia University." And that became part of a conversation that was about six months 
before I got a formal kind of offer from West Virginia University. And so that's how I ended up at West Virginia University is that it was this idea of, and it was really an interesting thesis. It says, if you could take the university's resources and resources being intellectual, social capital, role within the state as a land grant mission institution, if you could take that and you could utilize that to leverage our outdoor resources for economic and community advancement, how would you do that? And I'll just give you the headline now. My answer was, I have no idea, but I'm willing to figure it out. And that became how I ended up at, at, at WVU. That was a long way to answer that question, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, but it's good. And, and that's, you know, it's funny. Some pe- people say that, but that's the whole point of a podcast is so you can get into the weeds and stuff like that, that you can't yeah. get in other forms <laughs> of media, right? Yeah, yeah. With that, quick side note. I did notice, this is a total side note, kind of, that Rock Solid Trail Contractor is one of my favorite trail building contractors in the nation, was building at Bailey's this summer and had a project there. Yeah. Yeah, they did. They they really stepped up. You know, we that's one of the cool parts about that project. We've had Imba, we've had Rock Solid, we've had a couple local trail design, you know, builders there. Applied Trails Research has really been kind of the trail experts leading the charge. When you talk about an interesting project, that one really has a recipe for, you know, how a thoughtful project where you build momentum over time and really with an all an audacious vision. I mean, it's a big vision, 88 miles of multi-purpose human power trails. That's a pretty big vision nowadays uh, outside of a few key areas of the country, um, let alone Southeast Ohio. That community, the leaders of that project should be celebrated from top to bottom for what they're trying to do. And here's the cool part. That journey is not done for that community. I'm still very close with many of them. I, I love them near and dear to my heart because we were in the weeds together. I mean, there we were in the trenches trying to figure this thing out. And I think sometimes that's the part that do- doesn't get told as part of the trail development stories. We tend to tell the good stuff, but it's hard work. It, it, you, it's complex. It's it's uh, not straightforward. But that project highlights when you have the right motivation by the right people. And time means everything. We had the right leadership in place at the Forest Service. And we listened to a lot of stakeholders. Good things can happen. And, and that one, that project it should be really celebrated for their work. So I'll stop bragging on them, but I love them. Well, let's move to West Virginia University. So post taking the job, but prior to like this whole thing really kicking off, I believe the Brad and Elise Smith Outdoor Economic Development Collaborative hadn't actually been reality yet. It was just a concept of how are we going to pull this off, right? Yeah. And so let's kind of get the backstory on, on how that collaborative came together. And it came together, you know, it was set in motion pre-COVID, right? And so this is pre-you even knowing this was a thing. Yeah. So no, it's a great question. Um, and it, 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 a lot of people are asking, like, how did this thing come about? Well, you know, let's go back to where we kind of left off. Greg had asked me to come to, at the time, the Snowshoe World Cup, right? The the first one at Snowshoe, 2019. It was in September of 2019. And he basically said, look, can you come, you know, bring your wife? And, and all I want you to do is if we could have an office here at WVU, 
making no commitment on my behalf of, of going there, what would you have it do? And so we started with a blank piece of paper. And to his credit, he said, he's like, can we take a picture of this? Right. And I was like, man, that's kind of cheesy. Right. And he was like, I think this is going to be something special. So we took a picture of us standing by a blank paper with two Sharpies, um, a big post-it note paper. And we just went through this really fun brainstorming session for about a day and a half. We missed the first day of racing, by the way, because we were kind of in the moment. When you when you think about flow, we were really in that intellectual flow of trying to figure out what this thing would be. And um, we we kind of condensed it down to, I think, seven, eight areas of where we think we could do it all the way from youth because they had already had a couple of youth programs developed here, Science Behind the Sport, Science Adventure School, connecting STEM activities to adventure activities and then influencing our youth. So that was kind of already happening. And then it was like, well, how can we bring the outdoor economy piece into it? What would this look like? That turned into kind of a three to four page document, which then led to, yeah, I think this would work. This makes sense. And so you know, one of the greatest calls I've ever received was from President Gordon Gee, who said, Danny, I know you've had you have a great life in Southeast Ohio, but I need you to come here. And and this is let me tell you why. And I don't know. I can never say no to President Gee. He's one of the most remarkable leaders in higher education ever. He's an innovator. And he saw I think he saw something before we we, we even did at that time. He knew that we could do something special. So. They gave me the autonomy to say, you know, what would you want to do and how do you think this would work? And I started uh, January 2021. I'm sorry, I started in January 2020, pre-COVID. And we joked the third day of, uh, of me being here is when we actually named the office. We had some ideas running around, but we didn't. We didn't so we named the office in day three. And I say, you know, if the word collaborative is the most important word in our entire name. The second most important is, is the Smith name because they believed in us. And so how did, how did it all come about is, okay, now we have a name and we have some ideas of what we want to do. Right before I got here, they had submitted a trail accelerator grant as well. And we helped Fear that through to receive that. So we knew pretty early on that we we had a project that we could sink our teeth into. How can we get trails on the ground in Morgantown, right? And so I knew I I could help do that. And so I knew I had that task orientation. And then it became what else? And there was a lot of brainstorming of like, where do we start sinking our teeth into? The next thing I, I was asked to do was to create a presentation. Uh, that was the second week of my job was create a presentation about kind of the data that's out there. That's what's happening in Utah, Northwest Arkansas, what's happening in Colorado, what's happened in Western North Carolina. And we centered it around, at the time, business development, kind of talent attraction um, as well. So we looked at, here's the economics of it from the outdoor rec standpoint. Here's how communities are using it to attract and retain business because there's a lot of data out there. And here's how they're using it to attract and retain people. And then before I got here um, and, and we really kind of refined it once I got here, we started doing some really unique asset mapping, which we'll talk about in just a little bit around how do we utilize data, data in order to help us understand where our assets are and how they compare to other what we would consider like outdoor meccas the boulders of the world, the Boises of the world, the Asheville's of the world, 
Um, how do we compare? And so we utilize all of that to create a presentation. And we went around, and this is a parallel story to what we did on the Baileys as well, is it, we would give it to two people or 50 people. It didn't matter. If someone wanted to kind of understand what we were trying to do, we would we would give the presentation. And oftentimes that led to a snowballing effect. We'd give it to a group and like, man, this is really interesting. I hadn't thought of it. Hey, can you give it next week to this group? And then we'd do that. And they would say, hey, can you give it to th this other group? And it kind of snowballed. I, I mean, I think at one point we'd given that same version of that presentation and we built it to be whether it was 20 minutes, 40 minutes or an hour, because we always left time for Q&A on it. We built three different versions and we got really good at delivering it and trying to sell the vision and really tell people why this would work, how we can use our outdoor recreation assets, right? Our whitewater, our climbing and trails and our mid-Atlantic skiing to help address, you know, some really systemic issues in the state. And that's what we started doing is just selling the vision. And what I think our key indicator or our key approach was, we were looking at other states that had already done this or other regions of the country that already done, have done this and said, well, this is how they did it. And here's how we think we can adapt what they've done to West Virginia. And this is why it makes sense. And so that really started to, I don't know, it started to resonate. That's, a, that's the only thing I can say is that it just started resonating. And this was from people who weren't outdoor enthusiasts. We gave most of these presentations to political leaders, business leaders, nonprofit leaders, economic development people. It wasn't the you and I's of the world that love outdoor recreation, right? Because we have an inherent bias because we've seen it. And I always tell people, like, when you see this work, you know it because you feel it. There's an energy around these outdoor quality of life, healthy communities. You know it in your bones because it's in the air. And so that's what we started doing. And, you know, I, I'll try not to get choked up on this one, but we were working with some really innovative thought leaders out of the university. And they're like, yeah, I get what you're doing, but I'm not sure how to tell you to get started outside of a couple, given the presentation and working on your trail plan, right? In Morgantown, I, I don't know how. We had had the fortunate blessing of, of, of hearing Brad Smith speak. Um, he was still the chairman of the board for Intuit. And he brought his his um, his friend, CEO of Adobe and CEO of PayPal to Huntington. And President Gee and the dean of the business school at the time were invited. I always joke uh, that we were the handbags to the conversation. And it was a packed room. I mean, it was amazing in Huntington. And it was just kind of this fireside chat type environment. And we're taking notes. I mean, just about the how he thinks and how the other leaders are thinking. And there was this interesting comment that was made. It was like, you know, every time, and I'm going to butcher, butcher the quote a little bit, but I'll, I'll get the spirit of it, is he said, you know, every time we come back here, people always ask, when is, you know, Intuit Adobe PayPal going to open up an office here? Here's the secret. 25% of our workers can work from anywhere. They're called remote workers. And I'm going to go learn about a community who found out that if they, that, that Gen Z and the millennials want to be able to afford their homes, not sit in traffic. They love whitewater rapids and hiking. And it's called Tulsa. At the time, Greg and I looked at each other and we're like, Tulsa? Outdoor recreation? Really? 
And it was just like this like moment. And, you know, we, I actually, you know, full, full transparency, I had to look up what a remote worker was by definition. We started looking up toss. I started looking up like what Tulsa remote was doing, started trying to understand they built a $460 million kind of outdoor park called the gathering place. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we have those assets, but mother nature gave us, we need to enhance them and improve them, but they gave them to us. So how do we leverage this? How do we do this? And we just started ideating. So what we did is we took that presentation and we added on this remote worker piece. And here's the couple critical things about the story here is that really helped us hone in the why. Because through that research and through that data, what we found, and we kind of knew it, is that West Virginia has lost more population than any other state in the entire country. Okay. And this has been a trend that we've had for quite some time. And so it helped us really define, like, what are you guys trying to accomplish? We're trying to address population loss through talent retention. We want to keep our best and brightest. We want to keep our West Virginians in the state. And we want to bring the best and brightest in there. So I started looking at population trends of Northwest Arkansas, Utah, Colorado. Why are those states the ones that we are really kind of honing in on? They're landlocked states. Right. Colorado and Utah have historic extractive industries. They have tremendous outdoor recreation resources, Northwest or Arkansas, landlocked state. And they've taken what many people might not think of as an outdoor state and kind of utilize trails to help transform that narrative. So there's a lot of lear- learning that can happen. And so when you look at it, Utah. Their population rank, they've grown more than any other state in the country. Colorado was six in the, in the country. And so they've seen positive population trends. Their, uh, their percentage of GDP from the outdoor economy has continued to grow. And we're still at the bottom of that list. So I'm like, we can learn. And so we started trying to like create that narrative around it. And we started looking at remote workers. So we started adding that to the presentation, was giving that kind of pressure testing it to a large degree. And um, as the story goes, we presented to a former presidential candidate, loved the outdoor economy. He's like, I get it. The data's there. The, 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 the story's there. You've got the narrative. You've got the vision. Remote working? I'm not sure about that. He's like, who's going to pay? He asked all these great questions. And really, this is pre-COVID. Shot a ton of holes in it. And this was a Friday afternoon. And I will tell you, hands down, it was the single best thing that ever happened to us outside of Brad and Elise coming into our lives is and President Guy and the university believing in us. I mean, that's those are that trifecta was really what made this happen was because it forced us to say, well, are we right? Do we think this is our approach to do this? And that was a Friday afternoon. And I, I kind of joked, I went and cut my grass. Um, at the time. And then, you know, Greg and I started texting and, and I said, no, you know what? I think we're right on this. And in the interim, Brad had come to campus and we had, we just reached out and we said, hey, Brad, uh, we sent him a text and said, hey, Brad, um, we've got an idea we'd love to get your thoughts on. Would you, you know, be interested? And he's like, how about next Wednesday at five, at three o'clock? You know, maybe it was two o'clock. I don't know. But I know it was next Wednesday. It gave us like five days I, I joke, but I, I, I'm probably very serious. I didn't sleep for almost five days because it, if I was laying in bed, I was thinking about this or I was working on like 
really refining it. And that became, um, you know, we presented to him, you know, um, if you ever get a chance to spend time with Brad Smith, he's one of the most caring, thoughtful, intelligent people to ever um, be, be around. And it started this really fun relationship of where we would present ideas and he would say, I like it, but I need you to dig into A, B, and C a little bit more. And he would give us homework. And part of that was saying, go out and learn about all these other programs who've done this before. And so then we would go away for about three weeks and we'd be like, all right, Brad, you know, here we are. Like, we've got some answers. We'd go back and present. And we kept refining, defining and refining. And, um, you know, his, his, his brilliant wife, Elise, you know, started joining the calls. We brought in some other members from within the institution. And, you know, within kind of three months, it was about six months from when we started the office to three months from our first phone call. Brad and Elise, you know, said that we would give you this gift to see if you could make this work. And um, it was still one, hands down professionally one of the best days of my life because you have someone who comes from tech but has a deep love for West Virginia, says, I believe in you and I believe in this idea. And we don't have to have all the answers. And I'm okay with making mistakes. But all I need is for you all to learn along the way and continue to ref- define, refine, and advance. And that really was paramount to, that's how we became the Brad and Elise Smith Outdoor Economic Development Collaborative, was through through that kind of conversation and relationship. And um, I don't know. And that was all during COVID. We joked that we built out that whole program in shorts and with and sandals. Like I never put on a pair of shoes because we were in COVID during that time period. Um, and we never had an in-person meeting during that time period because it was when we were in lockdown in early 2020. And so that really gave us rocket fuel to kind of feed, you know, this vision. So I'll stop there, but that's really kind of how it happened. There's a couple ironies with that too, because one, remote working was like super accelerated, A. And B, outdoor recreation in terms of like an acceptable activity by the masses was also hugely accelerated. And that was, there was no foresight on that. Yeah, I'd like to believe it, but no, it's, it's kind of like, you know, preparation opportunity is when preparation and, and luck come together. And that's kind of what happened. We were prepared, um, but we also had some luck on our side. Um, and uh, that's that's kind of how it how it came to be. So you're right. There's these compounding issues that just made it make sense even more at the time. One of the other initiatives, and you'll have to kind of dive into this so I can understand if this came next or if this was already part of the original initiative is Ascend West Virginia yeah, yeah, and the collab with other organizations such as the West Virginia Department of Tourism. Yeah. So, you know, when um, a, a transformational idea comes along and then you, you know that you can't do it alone. And so, you know, um, our friends in tourism, uh, Secretary Ruby, the governor, you know, a lot of people said, okay, yeah, you all are onto something. How do we collaborate to make it bigger? Right. And so and, and and bring the collective strengths to bear. Right. Mark, tourism, they have they're brilliant at marketing. They understand people. They understand metrics. We understood at the time we understood. We understand programming. We understand building community. And so Ascend was built off of the tenants of community, 
how do we bring people together? It's the idea of sense of belonging. People want to belong to something that's that friend group, right? So it's that, that community. And then we knew it, it was it was purpose is that we know that that we need we know we're not perfect. So we said, come make us better. Like, how do you want to become involved in your community? How do you want to make a difference using your time and talent? And then outdoors, we wanted that to be an anchor because we want people to be able to recreate on their lunch break, after work, before work. Um, we wanted to become part of their lifestyle. And that became the tenets of Ascend. And so we understood a lot of that. But the marketing, the language and all of that, we knew that we needed help with. And we also knew we needed to, some help to think a little differently. What haven't we seen? What are we missing? And the only way I know how to do that is bring different people that are oftentimes smarter than you, but also have a different lens of the world and have a different knowledge-based background and skill set and have them start pressure testing and help curating. And so that's what that partnership with, with tourism came out to be. And at the time, it, we were calling it the West Virginia Remote Worker Program. Tourism helped come up with the name Ascend West Virginia, which I think is brilliant. And so that's really how that came about. And the, the whole idea is like, how do we bring people here to say, hey, come help make us better. Come be part of a community, both a community in terms of location and part of the Ascend community. And then how do we help you get out and recreate and play? And that's really kind of what we're doing. We're, we've announced three locations. We're working on locations four and five, and we can, we can continue to grow it. The other thing we're doing is we're looking at other verticals. So what can we take from the lessons learned and the, the structure we're building around this idea? And how do we expand that into other areas and verticals, right? So what about our students who are graduating from the universities um, in the state and looking to leave? How can we work with them to help keep them here? How can we work with, you know, we addressing some of our, our, our talent gaps in terms of our healthcare in terms of our education system. So, you know, we're close proximity to some some really um, unique urban centers. How can we say, hey, live here? You can work for them mostly remote, but you can still go in the office when needed. So we're really starting to think through that. I think there's a military component to this. So we're really trying to think about, you know, as we're standing this up, what are the other opportunities that we're doing? And so that's really the sense of ascent. I will expand. And part of that value proposition was not only are we going to build up a program to help address this loss of population, loss of talent, we also want to support them by developing outdoor recreation resources. And that's also part of the tenant of the program and our office more holistically is to develop and enhance accessibility to our tremendous outdoor resources. Yeah. And it's, and I don't know if this is an outdoor recreation thing, but and it was said in the in the video that was made from that first Amber Trail Labs conference, or I guess whatever you want to label that meeting as, or that couple of days as. And it was Rich Edwards, ironically, that that made the comment of, you know, when you when you travel to places on vacation, you start looking around and thinking, how can I move? And this, I'm paraphrasing this, but you'll get the idea of it. How can I figure out a way to move to this place so I can make this what I'm doing on vacation now my lifestyle? And I don't know if other I think of that every time I travel, but I don't know if other people think of that, you know, and I'm traveling 100% for outdoor recreation. It's, and for me, it's mountain biking, right? Yeah. yeah. It's sometimes yeah. a little bit skiing, but 99.9% .9 of the time mountain biking, you know? And I think yeah. that, so I think that's a huge collaborative with the department of tourism because so many times, and I think some department of, of tourism's 
don't see this side of where they can be super important and helpful with what you guys are doing down there at the West Virginia University. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think um, we joke uh, um, is, you know, Secretary Ruby, she'll say, yeah, this is a great part of my job because I get to try to get people here for a permanent vacation. We oftentimes say tourism is the red carpet to residency because if they come and have a great experience and they're coming here year after year, month after month, weekend after weekend, it's exactly right. They start saying, how do I live here? How do I buy a second home here? How do I retire here? Can I go to school here? Can I start a business here? Those questions, and that's been well-researched, they start asking. So for us, it's like, man, like they know how to get people here to the state. And so it's a great relationship and our job is to keep them here or do the best. And here's the reality of it is we built the model off of, yeah, we want them all to come and say, West Virginia is my forever home. But even if they don't, we know we're creating ambassadors, right, for the state. And for us, that's equally as valuable because that's a really cool idea as well, right? Is that, you know, there's stigmas and stereotypes with almost any state. But imagine when someone's out there and say, West Virginia, you're, you live there? And be like, yes, that place is amazing. And let me tell you why. Like, that's powerful. We actually already have the ambassadors because they're all telling their friends that are part of Ascend and being like, let me tell you why you need to come here. Come here for a weekend. And so I think it's really having this flywheel effect. And that's a, a very, that's a, a strategic principle that we have as an office is the flywheel effect. Yeah, that's, that's super important. And I think that, you know, that specific tenant has really helped places like Bentonville because one person tells another person that tell that person tells two more people, those two people tell four more people. And it just, it's, it's like compounding interest, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the West Virginia advantage because we've all, we've alluded to this this whole time, but we haven't actually talked about yeah. it, which is valuable, rare, and hard to imitate. Yeah. So this was introduced to us by um, a gentleman who I, I need to make sure I mentioned two key people. Um, uh, a guy named Ryan Angus. Uh, he's an entrepreneurship professor from Utah, and he sees the potential. And he talks about all the time. He's like, when you look at businesses, you want to find something that's valuable, rare, and hard to imitate. That's like the trifecta of a good business. And you know, the other person I think is important to recognize is woman named Liz Vitolo. She's might be one of the most talented people I've ever seen. She came in and she really helped us give life to this whole idea as well. And that list of people to thank is long and, and, and deep and diverse. But when this kind of came out is when you look at, and when we first started talking with Tulsa about this, you know, they shared and, and they said, this is great. But we spent 20 years kind of developing this culture around music and art and food. What's your kind of lead? What, you know, because it probably can't be that because, you know, we can't sell a small, affordable, livable city, what is, what's your lead? And we said outdoors. And, the, and I, I'll never forget it. The person who helped start that program and said, you're spot on, run with it. And because we know that we have assets that are valuable, rare, and hard to imitate. Let me give you an example. We took asset mapping and we took publicly available data. And right from where I'm sitting, and I live right in the middle of Morgantown, we have within 90 minutes, I have 605 miles of whitewater. From 90 minutes from me, I have over a thousand rock climbs right from where I'm sitting here today. And within an hour and a half, I can access three resorts, ski resorts. 
that's hard to imitate. And so what we started doing is looking at geographic proximity. And we kind of have been analyzing about 18 different communities throughout West Virginia, looking at 30-minute radius, an hour radius, and an hour and a half. Why? 30 minutes. I can do that after work, before work, lunch breaks, hour. I can do kind of on Saturday morning, I can go recreate and I can still be home to cut grass, dinner, all sports that kids do. And so I can incorporate it into my life. And then an hour and a half is I can make a day trip out of it and still be home in time for dinner. And so that's why we did it, because it's around this idea of community. And what do we have? We started comparing that same type of data within communities in West Virginia. But we also started comparing it to places like Asheville and Boise and Boulder and you know all these other communities that we know that have been drivers for talent, population, economic innovation. And so that's what we started doing is really trying to understand what assets we have and how do we leverage it. We had a geospatial scientist partner with a hydrologist and we said, can you take a look at our whitewater and tell us kind of how we compare? And so they did this geospatial analysis looking at hotspots. And basically what they came away with is that we have the highest density of moving water. So that's anywhere from class one to class five plus whitewater in the entire country, more than Western North Carolina and Pacific Northwest. As the West is getting drier and we're getting wetter, if you want to be a paddler, this is one of these spots to be. And that's whether you want to do a moving river, like moving water, or you want to do high-end whitewater. West Virginia is one of these spots to be, right? So we started looking at that. Then we started looking at climbing. Okay, where is the climbing? So how do you incorporate that into it? We know that a lot of these climbing and these outdoor destinations, those parking lots are getting you know full. So we started saying, okay, what's our climbing? How does that compare? We compete very well. And we have Seneca Rocks, we have Cooper's Rocks, we have the New River Gorge. That competes very well within the eastern United States, particularly in, in North Carolina and, and you know, the eastern Tennessee area. And so then we started saying, OK, let's look at, at, at skiing. If you want to be a, a world class skier and skiing is your thing, more than likely you're going to live out west. Right. We're not going to compete with Utah and Colorado. But if you want it to be part of your lifestyle, we have skiing to offer. And so we started trying to understand that. And then finally, trails like why trail? And so what we, we know is that trifectas are really nice, whether if we have outdoor recreation, we know we need good food, good art. If we have good trails, we need other supporting amenities because you can't ride trails year round. So you have to look for the trifecta, the balance is, okay, if, it's been, if it rains two months out of the year, what else can I do to, to kind of fuel that, that fire that's in outdoor people? And so we kind of look for trifectas um, in this. And one thing being the lead story, right? The headline, and here are the supporting entities. And so why trails? And this gets really into the interesting. So we really started focusing on communities. And one of, you know, um, and, and that's through our data analysis. But then we also, we looked at a community evaluation. And this is what Liz and a whole host of people helped with. We started looking at what are their down, you know, their housing, what's broadband look like? We started looking at things like how many local restaurants do they have, brew pubs, shopping, art, festivals. Then we said, okay, what's their healthcare access, transportation access? 
the you know the the livability and then we started looking at economic factors and that's how we're starting to try to understand and then we go ground truth and we go talk to communities and we're like this is what the data said what isn't it telling us and so that's how we're trying to focus on communities because as you know there's a lot of great places in this country that have great dynamic trails and outdoor recreation resources but we don't know about them and so what you have to do you have to make sure that the businesses are aligned the communities aligned the the locals are benefiting from this. And so oftentimes we're, we're saying like, this is for you all. You all want good, great places to eat. You all want great places to recreate. Let us help, you know, be part of that story. And so that's our community approach. And so trails became something that we can build. It's, we, you know, it's, you can't really build natural rock and you can't really build natural whitewater, but you can build trails. Also, trails are the gateway. And so what we're really looking at are trails within 30, 15 to 30 minutes of municipal centers, because trails are kind of the arteries to outdoor recreation. And so for us, that's where we knew we can move dirt. We can build high quality trails and incorporate it into people's lives. And so, for instance, and, and I say it with, 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 with just great immense pride, is right here in Morgantown, Emma Trail Accelerator Grant in partnership with the city is also doing a trail master plan, salt surface trail master plan. They also did a bike ped plan. And we also have a nationally recognized kind of rail trail system. Built off of those, we can have a trail within a mile of every resident in the city of Morgantown. That's powerful. That's a differentiator. Imagine saying it. And we know when you can do that, People will buy houses close to trails. We also know that people who have access to trails who historically didn't, they have newfound access. They'll exercise 40, on average 45 minutes more per week. We also know that when people spend up to 120 hours or 20 minutes, not hours, 120 minutes outside per week in nature, it has positive mental health benefits as well. Ultimately, when you couple with what we're trying to do in the town and the community, and you look a little bit broader, we believe we can have about 100 miles of, of, of quality trail within about a 30-minute radius of Morgantown. We know that we can replicate similar ideology at, based on local capacity and need in other parts of the state. So we got an Ember Trail Accelerator grant in the White Sulphur Springs, Lewisburg area, right? is we know the data tells us they don't have any purpose-built trail. They have some good rake and ride, some good local effort. So what happens if we take a really cool town that has great food, great art, great community, and, and now we get to add high-quality recreation? How does that benefit the community? And so that's kind of how we're doing it, going about it. And so when we got the gift, we were kind of thinking that we would outsource a lot of the trail design development. But very quickly, we learned that the most expensive part of trails is actually the construction part. And one of the things that we need to do is ensure that we have the right people in place on our team. And so we could do what we've normally done is bring people in from the outside and they come in, they make their money, they leave us with a good plan. But that helps that one community at that one time and doesn't create that, that long lasting transformation. And so one of our key things was we said, well, we know that we need to hire an expert in kind of trail development. And that's Rich Edwards, right? He is one of the best at what he does. 
And people said, well, you know, why not hire what we would consider a, a, a true planner, right? A landscape architect type person. And I said, well, we can outsource that and we can partner with that and we can, can support that to a certain degree. But the most expensive part and the thing that's the hardest to get money for is actually fixing trails that aren't, aren't haven't been built right. So we said, well, let's get the get the expert that can help us ensure that we get good plans. And when we get good plans, we can build good, high quality, accessible trails. And you know, I count every day how lucky we are to have Rich Edwards be part of our story and part and believe in this work. And then the other person we hired was Andy Williamson. So when you look at what we're trying to do, Andy has a tremendous background of supporting nonprofits, uh, developing nonprofits, you know, and these are trails, right? A lot of trail groups and advocacy groups. We know that he understands outdoor communities. He understands the business side of it. He understands the the narrative of it all and how communities have to be central to the conversation for trails and economic prosperity. It just so happens that Andy Rich and I were three of the main four presenters at Trail Labs, you know, that are now here in West Virginia that believe. And I I, I thank them and I, I do it here publicly. I thank them for trusting and being willing to like figure it out. Like, I mean, we're we're learning along the way. We don't have the perfect answers, but we're willing to to learn and bring our collective backgrounds to bear to try to see if we can move the needle in West Virginia, utilizing its outdoor recreation. So that's kind of and and, and you know and I, and I I want to be very clear too is our team that we've assembled they all have one common thread is that they're purpose driven. They all believe in West Virginia and they believe that quality of life can transform people and place. And that then in turn helps helps advance a state into reaching its fullest potential. That's my soapbox. How'd that go? <laughs> that went good because I was going to go into the area of teasing our next two people, which is Rich and Andy. And I didn't even need to ask the question. You just went right there. And that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. I did my job. You know, and I think, and this is something that really, like, I I knew it in the back of my mind, partially because of of my background with working for Wisconsin DOT. I know that, like, having a good plan, you know, creates your final product. And I don't mean, and I mean, like, a plan like Rich would do, not not a master plan. I think master plans are great, but they don't get, they're not the actual plans that get the infrastructure put in, right? They're just like the idea book of what you could have if you implement these other more, I guess, detailed plans is the, is the best way of saying that. And the trail, the IMBA Trail Accelerator Grant, like we've talked about that a lot. And the reason why I'm saying that is more generally speaking, I get asked quite a bit, how do I get trails in my community? And I tell them like, you need, you need to have a good plan. And I don't mean a master plan. I mean, like what, what the Trail Accelerator Grant provides. And you said it. I was I was going to ask it, but you already said it. The planning is the cheapest part of the whole equation. And most people can't get past that point. But look at how much money the Trail Accelerator Grant program on a na- nationwide, look how much money that unlocked. I mean, millions and millions and millions of dollars for how much investment. Yeah. Well, and, and so, you know, speaking to that is what we kind of teach is I fundamentally believe that trail plans should be funded locally in some pa- in some capacity. 
with support from state, federal. And why? Because it creates buy-in, right? Because you, when you go around asking for money from people, with especially you know in a state that doesn't have deep, deep pockets, is you have to believe in it and you have to have buy-in, right? And you're going to get told no, and that's okay. But it, it allows for you then when you say, well, why would we invest in this? Why should we fund this? Be like, well, I've got 20 businesses and community leaders helping fund this project. Here's why. So you you get your you get a deep Rolodex and deep bench relatively quick. I think one of the other things too that we try to focus on here in West Virginia is we try to find and uh, fund and support and advance projects that have high impact, and that's where we use the data. We're looking for trail deserts. We're looking for places with growing population. We're looking for places with high visitation because there's a high need, high demand, or they don't have anything and they have access to tremendous public lands. If you have in access to tremendous public lands and you don't have really purpose-built trail systems, then we can help close that gap, right? And that's high impact. And we try to find projects in which we can move dirt from kind of initial meeting to moving dirt within three to four years. And for those you know listening that will say, that's pretty ambitious for a larger project, especially depending on public lands and support is, yeah, that absolutely is. And I'm not saying build out the whole thing. We just want to move dirt because as you know, that makes it real. It's much easier to sell a trail project when you have trails on the ground. We spent a significant amount of time building three miles here in Morgantown and we celebrated it because the three miles, now we can show people what we're doing we can bring community leaders out. We've shown a diversity of trail and we've done it on a very intentional piece of property. Ultimately, when we go about trail plans, we try. It doesn't always happen, but we basically say, well, let's do a plan that has three to seven miles of trail flagged. Flagging is critical because that automatically gives us phase one allows us to then, that's the design work that allows us to get NEPA moving and it's fundable. Oftentimes, three to seven miles of trail can fall within RTP grants as well, right? In terms of the amount of money, which oftentimes that also. So there's a lot of intentionality in terms of the way we build out trails to be able to move dirt. And we've been blessed so far is that we've been able to implement that philosophy on um, almost every project we've been involved in. You know, I'm so proud of our, and Rich, I, I know he'll dive into the details of, of our friends at Kekapin, like what they've done, they got a trail accelerator grant, what we're doing in the New River Gorge, what we're doing in um, White Sulphur Springs, what we're doing in, in, in the Elkins area, and then what we're trying to do here. And that's just the beginning here in Morgantown, it's just the beginning, but we're trying to implement that philosophy um, as well um, in order to help, you know, get that buy-in from communities. Because if you can do that on the front end, it makes the hardest part getting funding for trails on the ground um, and the maintenance of it a whole lot easier. And, you know, I, I do want to say we're not perfect at it. I mean, we've got a collective expertise that's really good and we've got great community partners. Our job, our our, our mission is to teach communities and groups how to fish so we're not needed. That would be an amazing day when we work ourselves out of a job, where when an outdoor rec project is brought to life, people are like, yep, I'm willing, we'll fund that, right? Grants are willing to fund it. You know, communities are willing to fund it. 
and you don't have to do the work that we're doing. That's a great day. And that's ultimately, you know, I hope we get to accomplish it where we've had such a great track record of success and so many other groups that know how to do this work that we work ourselves out of a job. That's actually a good, a good point of a, a good sign of a good leader. Yeah. Before we wrap this thing up, yeah. do you have any closing comments or any things you want to leave us with in terms of teasing out any stuff that we should be listening for through Andy and through Rich? Because we will circle back and close this one down in the four-part series with part four being with you again. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I really hope, you know, a, a couple things is, you know, we really are looking at this as a, a as a 20, 30-year journey, right? If you look at every community that and area or state that's done this, you know, Colorado, Utah, they're not finished yet. They're still working on the rural areas. There's still this work has a long, a long runway, if you will. And and that's important to level set is that this isn't done overnight. And there's not a single recipe that works, but there's a process and a guiding philosophy that I believe does. And we learn and we adapt every day. But I hope, you know, when you're listening to Rich um, and Andy, I first hope you understand what we see in them. They're two of the most special people that I know. We've given them a really interesting task of saying, we know that our outdoor recreation can help be a piece to the puzzle for, for advancing a state. I don't know necessarily exactly how to tell you to utilize your expertise as a trail builder or your expertise in community and business development to do it. But what I want you to do is really think about how to do it and bring your collective 20 plus years of experience and help understand how to do this in West Virginia for West Virginia. And that, I, I think that you'll hear that in them, you'll hear their passion and you'll hear, hopefully you'll hear their learning. I mean, Rich has been here about a year and a half, Andy just over six months. You're here, you'll hear their learning as they're engaging in this process. And to me, that's kind of the secret recipe, I think, that we have right now is we're all willing to learn, we're willing to adapt, we're willing to grow, uh, we're willing to try new things and fail and step back up. And so, you know, that's really what I hope you get to hear from them. And I'm sure they'll they'll talk about their collective backgrounds. Uh, and then I look forward to coming back together with you and kind of, you know, you know, uh, having a closing conversation, um, but more to come. Um, we're just beginning. There's definitely more to come. Well, Dr. Danny Twilly, <laughs> should, I, should I rattle off the title one more time? <laughs> I really appreciate you taking time out of your day and your schedule to be able to sit down and record this uh, interview. And next we'll have Andy, then Rich, and then you again. And Well, I'll just say, you know, the, the appreciation goes right back to you for being willing you know, wanting to tell the West Virginia story. It's one of the most special states I've ever been part of. Lots of, I mean, the communities, the people, the pride and the opportunity. So thank you. Thank you from the bottom of all of our hearts at West Virginia for being willing to to share share what we're trying to accomplish here. Uh, well, thank you. I really, I really do appreciate that. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed on the show can be found in the show notes. On Thursday, our next episode will be part two of the four-part series featuring the West Virginia University and their mission of advancing West Virginia through outdoor recreation via the Brad and Elise Smith Outdoor Economic Development Collaborative with Andy Williamson as our guest. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself.
Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect Podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. Please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect Podcast. I'd also like to thank all of the listeners who have signed up to be supporters of Trail Effect through Patreon. These actions mean a lot to me. With that, the value for value concept is something that has caught my attention. If you find value in the Trail Effect Podcast, you now have a way to provide value for that value via Patreon for Trail Effect. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature in Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.